Welcome to the SBS Volta Espana podcast with Zwift. Last year in the Volta, we saw Zwift Academy winner Jay Vine come close to a stage win, and this year another Zwift Academy winner, Neve Bradbury, performed brilliantly at the Giro Donna, finishing 12th overall. Well, it's all about to kick off again. Registrations are open, and the Zwift Academy starts on the 12th of September. Importantly, it's not just about elite riders chasing a pro contract. Anyone can take part. The Zwift Academy, it features six structured workouts over four weeks. And after you've graduated, Zwift will share workout and training recommendations based on your results. It's a great way to find your strength and go further. So if you want to dive in and start riding with a free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com. Now here's Christoph and Maka with the SBS Volta Espana Zwift podcast. Buenos dias, apparently this is what I have to say. I'm here in Spain. It's sunny. I'm sweating it out for you guys on the rooftop of uh, the city I am in. Uh, it's beautiful out here. And this is the Zwift SBS Cycling Podcast starting today. Uh, and our guest today, in, uh, he's not actually a guest, he's the co-host of this. He's going to burn me on this one. It's Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? Uh, I'm very good. Mike, I'll say two things to just kick things off. Firstly, you are a true professional because... <laughs> We were just hanging out in the green room and I was telling this cracking story and you said, mate, we have to head into the studio. We've got to go live right now. So you <laughs> cut me off. So well done because I had no idea that it was almost seven o'clock my time. Yeah. And secondly, how was that start then that we just saw? That was total, that was total Dutch and it was like 80s pop music. That is classic <laughs> Dutch. I mean, if you didn't know the Volta started in the Netherlands, well, you do now. Exactly, and I thought, the, yeah, this this music was just pumping up. What a, what a nice way to uh, to start. Uh, she loves the pop music as well. She's with us again. It's uh, Gracie Elvin. How are you, Gracie? <laughs> I'm good. Buenos dias. It's so nice to see you. Still in the warm weather. We're cold back at home. I was enjoying your story, Mac. I'll have to hear the end of it when we're finished with this podcast. But I was also was enjoying hearing the bells in the background, Christoph. It's it's such a European sound. So hope we might get them later on in this podcast. Again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yesterday we had a team time trial. It started, it kick-started uh, this Vuelta in really good shape. Let's go back to the last few hundred meters that saw the team Yombo Wisma, Wisma, sorry, win the first stage. Inside the final kilometer now for the last team on the road, Yumbo Visma, and they still have their full contingent of eight riders. This is impressive. Yumbo Visma, they look to be going to the better of Ineos Grenadiers. The charge is on for the finish line and the red jersey. Who leads them across to get the red jersey? That's another one of the big questions. And it looks like it's Robert Hessink, the stalwart of the team. They will have coordinated this for Gessink. He missed a few turns at the back of the group in the last couple of kilometres. They want the experienced Dutchman to lead them across. And it'll be Robert Hessink who wears the first red jersey. That is fitting. Love it. Fantastic result for Jumbo Visma there and winning with a convincing margin over Ineos Grenadiers. Robert Heysing 
a tireless worker for that team. It's the only squad he's ever ridden for as a professional, and now he takes the first red jersey of this Vuelta Espana. And uh, what a fitting winner, Robert Gessing. Maka, you wanted to, to have a quick word about Robert Gessing because his career has been very interesting. One professional team. Yeah, yeah, as as we heard Gero just say, and I forgot about that actually, that he's been a, a one-rider team. And no, I do. I just want to touch on him because he's, look, apart from being a great stalwart, as they've said, and a, a great and a, and a successful pro career, he's, he's a real gentleman off the bike. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times, but a couple of key things in his career. He obviously started with that team. He stayed with that team all the way through. He was billed as sort of the big, the new Dutch hope for general classification. In his second Tour de France, he finished sixth overall. In his first one, he crashed out after about five days. That was back in 2010. And he never sort of hit the lofty heights uh, in general classification. Uh, he had a couple of top tens, but he never sort of made the podium. But he lost his father at the end of the 2010 season uh, in, a, in a cycling accident. It was a really tragic sort of story. And it took him a while to bounce back. But, you know, I'm just so happy for him. 36 years of age. He's towards the end of his career. He's Dutch, of course. He lives most of his time in Spain. But what a gesture by the team to, to deliver him, Gracie. And we were talking about this sort of last yeah. night about, you know, would teams make, who would they decide on who's going to cross the line in first place? I couldn't think of a more fitting rider uh, than Robert Gessink in that squad to, to get the red jersey on home soil for him. Definitely. It was such a nice thing to see a, a team like that. Well, first of all, it was amazing that they finished with all eight riders. Mm. I don't think any other team did that. Um, but it's it's awesome that they were able to manage those eight riders to get him to the front at the right time, do those last couple of corners and cross that line first. I'm sure that they would have talked about it before. I don't think it would have been a surprise to him getting that call on the radio right at the end. I think they knew that that was the plan and it's so nice that they were able to win and he's able to pull on that red jersey. And it's just for me, being, I was in the support role a lot in my career and it, you don't get the thanks, you know, publicly very often. You certainly get the thanks within the team and, and that goes a long way. But to have that extra special thanks that the whole world can see, I don't think that there's many moments in his career that will be able to top that. So it's really nice and he probably doesn't have too many years left. So I think this is a huge highlight for him and a really nice way to see out some of his last year's racing. Uh, fun fact, he's lived in Girona for a number of Years. I think he spends more time in Andorra now, but he lived in the apartment in Girona that Lance used to live in, and Lance was really the one that put Girona on the map. Wow. So that that was just across the uh, the the street as well from Aussie rider Rory Sutherland's cafe Federal that everyone goes to. So you'd often see Robert Kessink coming into the cafe and to supermarkets. I saw him and his family around there all the time. <laughs> I. There's a, there's I a, there's no, I was just going to say, Maddie Keenan said last night in the commentary, I think Robert Gessink now owns a cafe in Girona. Like, how many pro cyclists do you think, Gracie, either own bike shops, cafes or restaurants in Girona? Countless. There's a lot there. <laughs> but there's enough people that want it. So they're always mm. busy, all of them. It's, they do pretty good trade. And they also have the Game of Thrones tourism there too. So it's a biking destination as well as wow. a uh, uh, Hollywood destination. <laughs> I, I can see your business brain, Maka, going, Ooh. Oh, yeah. Mate, I am. Yeah, I'm planning. I'm planning. Yeah, the three of us, we would kill it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just put it back uh, up here as well, but uh, a really nice warm message from the team itself saying a big massive thank you for what Robert Gessing has been doing over the years for, for the team. I think that's a true testament. Yes, it was planned, but it's a true testament that the team as a, as a, as a whole, they could have given it to Ron Dennis. You know, he's the, yeah. he's the lead star of, uh, of, team time, of time trial and team time trial, but no, they decided to give it to Robert Gessing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a real, and that was a, that's a really lovely message, and uh, yeah. and it's and it's true, isn't it, Gracie? We've we've seen Robert Gessink over the years. It's it's true. Riders like him, and he's not the only one. There's there's many others, but he, he, that's that's what he's done. He's sat on the front for years and years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's listen to uh, the winner speech. Would there be a champagne popping? So happy that you guys gave me the chance to uh, to take the take the red. I mean, we've uh, we've had some, as I said already, Primoz gave me three red jerseys in the end of the Vuelta, but now actually I have one of, of my own. So that's actually uh, really really cool. Um, and yeah, it starts with everyone, the staff. I mean, everything was super super well prepared today, and uh, I never thought we. Oh, I would still, I would gonna, would win a race in, in my at the end of my career. But uh, now uh, we won one together, and these are the nicest ones because you can celebrate all together. So uh, great, great job for everyone. Um, thanks so much for um, for uh, for uh, all the support all those years. And um, oh, let's uh, let's keep the momentum, right? That's what you said. <laughs> so let's keep it going and uh, make it a make it a great world for all of us. Micah, you were waiting for it. No ziggy ziggy. No zigga zaga zigga zaga. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I, look, it'll, we will get one. We will get at least one uh, before this uh, three-week race is over. Yeah, Mark absolutely. Uh, now let's talk about uh, the team itself, Jumbo Visma, the performance. Uh, Gracie, it's a team we know very well, but they never sort of stopped to impress us. And the team time trial is somewhere uh, they are performing super well. For sure, we were talking so much about the team time trial as it was the first stage to start this year's Walter and how difficult it is to manage the team like that. And it's not just about finishing with your strongest set of riders to get the fastest possible time. For sure, you would do that in a world championships, but doing it in a tour is different. They need to get all of their GC riders across the line in the quickest possible time. So you're managing those strong time trialists so they don't drop those guys. And, and that's quite hard to do as well. But the, the GC riders, of course, they're in their top form for climbing and they're very strong in the time trials. They're going to have to face a 30K time trial later in this tour. But the team time trial is a whole nother beast. It's high power for, for less time. You have to get back on the wheel and recover, but the team's just going so fast. It's a lot harder actually at the back of a team as well. So you're getting a bit of that slingshot effect going through all of the corners and like I said earlier, to finish with eight riders is actually really incredible. I don't think any other team did that. Not that I saw. Maybe they did. But, um, yeah, a great performance. They would have put a lot of time and effort in that preparation for that race to make sure it was seamless. And, Maka, I don't know if you ever got to do team time trials, but it just happens. Everything happens so quickly and mistakes can happen really quickly. But they didn't make any mistakes. They were super strong, super smooth, and they finished it off super nicely. 
Yeah, they did. Gracie, the only couple I ever did suffered like a dog, um, to put it mildly. <laughs> uh, what's interesting here as well is that we mentioned, uh, Robert, guessing winning, uh, the, probably the planning or maybe not so much of a planning so much beforehand, but maybe in the last few kilometres going, we're going to give it to Robert guessing. But uh, Gracie, you just mentioned you need to get your GC riders across the line. Primoz Roglic is second. He's now second of the classification. So, I mean, he crossed the line very safe, but he's already up there. Definitely, that was a big worry for many GC riders of how much time can you lose? It's not just a, a race against the clock as an individual time trial. Your whole team has to get your GC rider to cross the line and, and not lose too much time to the other teams and the other GC riders. So Primoz Roglic is in the perfect position now. Uh, he doesn't want to wear red, so I think he was also very glad to give it to a teammate just for his own benefit for the rest of the tour. You don't want to be wearing red too early and have to defend it as a GC rider. They, they're certainly going to, I think, keep Robert Gessink in it for a few days so he can enjoy it, but they're not going to necessarily put a lot of guys on the front to defend that particular red jersey. But to be, you know, second in line with the same time, it's it's really good. And some of the GC riders did lose, you know, 15, 30 seconds or more. And that time is going to be crucial in this year's tour. There's no super steep longer climbs this year. It's a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of difficult yeah, climbing lot of to climbing. come. <laughs> but, you know, it, some of those seconds can really make the difference at the end of the tour. Yeah, and Maka as well, a uh, quick, uh, quick mention as well, Ineos was on the hot seat for, for a little while. We saw them clapping like, yeah, we're happy, not so happy. Uh, what do you, how do you rate the performance of Ineos? Uh, no, look, I think they were good. They were, you know, they, got, they were close to the mark, weren't they? They got the better of Bike Exchange, yeah. JK. They got the better of um, Quickstep, Alpha Vinyl. So they were good, and actually their clapping at the very end was when uh, Jumbo Visma got the better of them, and that was them applauding Robert Guessing. So, again, it just shows the respect that the Peloton and, and, you know, I thought it was pretty classy from Ineos to be, you know, applauding uh, Guessing and the team that, you know, yeah. that had just got knocked them off the, the top perch. But other than that, I thought they were good. Carapaz is now in a good position as well. Uh, let's talk about uh, the other performance you mentioned, uh, Team Bike Exchange. We knew uh, that was the target for them, the Team Time Trial. We understood it when I interviewed uh, four of the riders. They all mentioned a Team Time Trial. And I'm sure it wasn't just because it was the first stage. They really had a target on this one. Uh, Gracie, are they happy with the performance? Disappointed? They finished fourth, so that, a top five. But they're just out of a top three, out of a podium. I'm going to say that they're not happy. They they thought that they could win it. Um, they had a great lineup of guys there that, to do a really great team time trial. I think they were hoping to at least get top three and to be very close. I think it was one second to get back into that top three. Yep. Uh, it's it's tough to get fourth. Um, but I think that they actually had slightly wetter conditions a bit earlier on in that in the stage. So I think that maybe the conditions played a little bit of a part in that. But I just I think they still did the best that they could do. Maybe that they could have made up a few seconds here or there if it was drier. But you can't really beat that time of Jumbo Visma, can you? They they really stormed through with this first stage. Yeah, absolutely. And Maka, what's your, what's your thought on this? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Gracie. I think look, there were four teams that I thought could win at the before you know they turned to pedal in anger, and it was the top four. So for me, they finished last of the four that, that I guess we all thought probably could win. They only finished with five riders as well. And Simon Yates did say post-stage that they had a couple of touchy moments. 
And he said a couple of the corners, you were going in a little bit blindfolded because sort of half the road was wet, half was dry. You weren't sure what it was going to be like out the other side. So, yeah, reiterating what you just said, Gracie, that, you know, it's not an excuse and, and they, they're they not giving excuses. But, yeah, I think the conditions for them were probably slightly um, uh, more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the, the Aussies as well. Uh, let's start with uh, Jai Hindley. He's one of our uh, biggest hope for uh, this tour. There's, let's remember there, there are 16 Australian riders uh, in this uh, in this Vuelta. That's, uh, I think, I believe it's it's a record or an equal record. Uh, but Jai, Jai Hindley, uh, first of all, let's listen to him and then we come back and analyse what he's done. Jai, you've just finished. Um, that was a fantastic time. We haven't heard the last three big teams to come, but you're only a few seconds behind Bike Exchange. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think the team can be pretty happy with that ride. Like uh, the guys were on fire out there, and yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone did their best, and you can't ask them more than that. So yeah, I think because uh, when we looked at the ride, I think it was actually pretty smooth and uh, yeah, pretty fast. So yeah, and uh, yeah, we all finished with with our skin on our back, so <laughs> it's also a bonus. But uh, yeah, yeah, nah, happy. It was uh, dry out there, and. Um, yeah, also the, the atmosphere was, was electric, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Utrecht really put on a show, so, yeah, it was, it was awesome out there, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next couple of days. <laughs> so, uh, you're actually two seconds up on uh, Bike Exchange at the halfway, did you, was it dry for you at the start, or did you get a little bit dampish? Uh, I think, yeah, I think some of the corners, uh, especially, like, in the, in the shaded areas, they were still a bit wet, but... Yeah. I think everyone more or less had the yeah. similar conditions, so um, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, we finished safe and uh, yeah, it was also pretty fast, so that's all you can ask for, eh? Yeah, thanks mate, and uh, good luck for the next three weeks, yeah. bud. Cheers, thanks. I know what you're all thinking. Yes, the work experience kid is back, Maka. And it's we right. love JT, we love. Uh, but Jai, Jai, brilliant performance as well by Bora. They, they avoided the worst, I guess. Uh, so it's all well and truly good for, for Jai starting uh, the campaign on this Vuelta. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it is. it's very good for him. Look, they were, they, were, I don't, they were never going to challenge in my book for the win. So I think what they produced was good. That uh, was very good. Uh, they finished with just five riders, I think, same as Bike Exchange and a few other teams. So they used up sort of all the men that they could because, remember, it was the fifth rider across the line. So I thought they did what they needed to do, Gracie. And as Jai pointed out, you know, they finished with their skins on their backs and that's one of the main goals, isn't it? For sure. I think that, as the saying goes, they were going to win the tour on that first day, but you could lose it. And I, I think that, not ceding too much time is a real win those seconds i was saying a bit earlier that every second counts in this tour for sure but you don't want to crash and you don't have mechanicals so i think that they just tried tried to ride a really smooth race out there tried not to cede too much time to the other gc riders and they did a great job i think they probably did better than maybe what they were hoping for yeah Probably, actually. So uh, it's all, I mean, very positive at the minute for uh, Jai Inley and the quest for the uh, Vuelta 2022. Uh, let's roll down now some of the other uh, Aussies that we want to talk about. Ben O'Connor, uh, what uh, do we know about the form is he coming into uh, towards this, uh, this, this Vuelta, Maka? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think, um, look, I think there's also probably his morale. Um, and I don't think it's a question, his morale. I think he'd be motivated. 
but let's just remind everyone, you know, how he, you know, sadly had to withdraw from the tour from the, a crash and the injury that sort of niggled him for a few days and, it, you know, it wasn't good at all. But he seems like he's, he's in the right headspace. And look, knowing Ben, he's such a racer. He's not a guy that will sort of sit on the wheels, wait for the mountains necessarily. He's good at the mountains, but he will attack. And he's an attacking style of rider. So I, I actually think the Vuelta is really suited to Ben O'Connor, the way he races his, his own style. So, you know, time will tell. Um, but again, you know, for him and his team, the name of the game was to just get through uh, the team's time trial, not concede too much time. And they did that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's listen to uh, Ben O'Connor. This was recorded before the, the time trial, the team time trial, uh, but they, they did relatively well. No problem there. Uh, let's listen to Ben O'Connor on the targets, the objectives for this Vuelta. No, no, I want to try GC. I like to think I can anyway as well. And I think it'd be nice to see how high I can finish. You know, I think I'm better in Grand Tours than I am in stage races also. So... Why not try for GC and hopefully it can be a top five or if it's a top ten, it's a top ten. That's just yeah. do your best. And, and just recently, how has your form been? Yeah, I mean, I didn't lose any form from the Tour de France, you know, like that was an injury. It wasn't to do with form. So I think it's clear that if I can back up what I did in Dauphiné, uh, you should be close. I mean, it was really only me that was the closest to be able to follow Jonas and Primoz. And it wasn't too far away, so... You should believe that you should be up there with the best guys here then. So what do you think of uh, TTTs uh, in Grand Tours? Do you think that's a, good, a team time trial is a good thing? Yeah, I mean, it's better than a Cobble Parve stage in Roubaix. I think I think it's a discipline that that means a lot. It's technically very difficult. And also as a team, you really have to be very together. So I think that's I think it's more enjoyable than having some very silly, crazy 16% climb or a... Uh, a cobble stage, to be honest. All right, we'll be catching you a little bit over the next three weeks, but uh, good luck, mate. Thanks, man. Cheers. Ben O'Connor, as uh, laid back as, uh, as we know him, <laughs> top five, top ten, but a little dig, Maca, at uh, a Paris-Roubaix style uh, stage in the Tour de France. Yeah, well, that, and I, I just want to uh, get your thoughts too, Gracie, on, uh, well, that, and the other thing that he said, two key things, I thought, the one that grabbed me is how he said, and I like this, the Dolphin A said, well, you know, you've got to believe in yourself and your form. And he's right because he was the next best behind Jonas Vingago and Roglic, wasn't he? Uh, leading into the Tour de France, Ben's form was really good. So he's coming into this believing in himself that he could be one of the best. For sure. I think he's really learned a lot from the tour experience this year and how much pressure was on him and how much spotlight was on him. So you could see he was talking it down a little bit. He was saying, you know, top five, top 10, anything, you know, is, is good. We're just going to see how it goes. But inside, we all know that he cares a lot and he really wants to go for top three and maybe top step. So uh, nothing wrong with what he said, but mm. I think that he's just having to still process what happened at the tour. And and I think it's good that he, he can believe in himself. I think that was really important that he said that and that he's able to recognize that huge achievement and the form that he was in from the Dauphiné into the tour and just that bad experience in the tour. It wasn't just the crashes and everything. It was, you know, I was there interviewing him every day and you could just tell it was grading on him a little bit. Mm. And he was such a great sportsman. His interviews with us were really generous, but you could tell it was just 
eating away at him a little bit every day of how much pressure there was on him to keep, you know, performing and and looking forward to some of those really tough stages. So I think that it's mature of him to Mm. just, you know, take it off himself for this welter and go, look, I'm in great form. I didn't lose much. I'm just going to see how it goes. And I think that's all you can do. And I, I, I think that the recovery, mental recovery is so underrated from an experience that he went through at the tour, not just that physical recovery and injury that he'd had to come back from. So I think he's had some great support around him and, and to hear that interview and his different tone of voice to what we heard at the tour, I think that's quite telling of where he's at and how he's approaching this tour. Yeah, and Maka, I mean, there's a question here from uh, from Matthew, uh, or a comment from Matthew. Uh, he's got the right mindset uh, for to do really well. But has he got the right team though to to do very well? That is a good question. That that's yeah. The first bit, totally agree with that. Well, he's proven it already, hasn't he? Previously, um, with his and it's a French team, place. so it's not a slight word for me. You know, it's no, no, no. That's right. Look, time will tell. And look, I'll be really brutally honest I haven't dissected each rider on that team as yet I've had a quick look but I haven't had a proper look so look and and look there's other elements to it and Gracie you know this as well it's you know it's the last grand tour of the year where's the morale at where's the motivation at what sort of race program have his teammates had this year so are some of them coming in super fresh and full of motivation that's sort of what you want I think for the Vuelta you don't necessarily want a couple of guys, two or three guys that have, you know, already got 60, 70, 80 race days in their legs, a bit bruised and battered, and, you know, you're flogging a dead horse, so to speak. So I think he, he as long as he's got some fresh some fresh legs and maybe a few young riders as well that are, you know, super motivated, super energetic and, and, and want to impress the team, you know, and um, support Ben as best they can. Yeah. Uh, I really hope that you've got uh, the right, uh, the right, the right words here, Maka. Uh, let's talk about the team time trial, and then before we move to the stage uh, tonight, uh, the place of a team time trial in the race. I'd like you to listen to Luke Plipe, and let's talk about what he just says. Oh, I love it. I think for sure, it's it's you got to have it in the race. Um, I just saw that they've got another one uh, for stage one in the Volta next year, which I'm already excited for. But yeah, look, I think uh, we've got to get through the first technical part here. Uh, you're not going to lose the race. Uh, you're not going to win the race uh, today, but you could lose it. So I think we've got to get through that start of it. Um, and then, yeah, just get underway and really get into our stride. And we've got Ethan here and we'll just sit on him and let him do all the work. That was uh, Luke Plapp. I mean, why I wanted to play this is, yes, Team Time Trial should be at the Vuelta at least, uh, because that's where they, they, they've been there originally. But he's already thinking of next year. That's, uh, that's very, very positive, Gracie. It is, but he's a neo-pro and all neo-pros get a guaranteed two years in their first team. So he would have been signed for at least two years, if not more. I I would say that they want to scoop him up for a long time to develop that talent of his. Uh, He's going to go on to do some pretty big things. Not sure where his skill set really is going to land, whether it's going to be in Grand Tours or something a little bit different. But it looks like he's having fun already. And I think that that would have been a really cool experience to do a team time trial with Ineos at his first Velta. Yeah. And Maka, we haven't seen uh, the, the national jersey yet on the, the, the shoulders of Luke Plapp because he's not the national champion of a team time trial, which there isn't mm. a, a national championship of team time trial. But uh, we will see that tonight. Yeah, we will. Looking forward to it. And, uh, and just, a, just another comment just on that team's time trial from Ineos. And this isn't a negative towards Plappy. It's more, it just shows the strength of that squad. He, he did a turn last night at one point, swung off, 
and he just slightly lost the wheel and it took him about 200 meters to get back onto the rear wheel you know and we know how strong luke is and, and in time trials himself he's actually he's very good indeed so it just showed how fast they were going uh, last night and they still got beat by Jumbo Visma. But, no, he's exciting. He's exciting to watch. And, you know, he amongst all these Aussies. And what I'm enjoying, guys, too, is that there's a few fresh faces that we haven't really seen too much or heard too much of. And I'm talking about the Australians. So we're going to get to hear from them quite a bit, hopefully, this at this uh, Vuelta, which is really nice. Yeah, and I like as well, I mentioned that before when I was uh, on my campaign for the Polkado jersey, but uh, I like the fact that now Aussie riders, coming from France, I always classified Aussie riders as the king of speed, always wanting the green jersey, always to go fast in sprint. But today, that's changed completely. We've got riders at every single level of the peloton that can do anything, Gracie. For sure. Um, I'm really looking forward to this lineup. The 16 Aussies at this year's Vuelta they're all t talented. I, I, I don't want to make that sound, you know, that bit underrated, but like there's so many stage, possible stage winners just out of the Australian riders. They're all yeah. relatively young too. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what some of them are going to pull out of the bag. And I think that a lot of them are going to get good opportunities to go for the opportunistic wins. Okay, before we move on to a uh, tonight's stage, I just want to have a quick mention about Ron Dennis. Uh, Ron Dennis is back in uh, Utrecht, back in yellow. So first of all, let's listen to him and then we'll talk about Ron Dennis. So you're, you're a bit of a TT tragic. You love your time trials and you're into all the specs. But what do you think of a, 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 a TTT to start a Grand Tour? I love it. We've missed it for, what, three years now, uh, since 2019, um, Tour de France. I believe that was the last one. Um, I think it uh, should be at least every every second year and every every Grand Tour. Um, uh, they can figure out which year they want to do it, but um, I love them. I think they're a great way to actually show the team's strength, not just uh, just the individual who wins. Now, I remember interviewing you here, I, I can't remember, five, six years ago? Seven. Seven years ago. Sure seven, yeah. You had yellow on, but a different reason when you won the uh, the prologue and took the yellow jersey. So, great memories of this town. Always good memories so far. Um, let's uh, let's make sure it, it stays that way today. Uh, good luck today, mate. Cheers, mate. So, that was, uh, of course, our work experience kid as well, John Trevorrow, uh, remembering that he was still a work experience kid seven years ago, Maka. Yeah, that was... Um yeah, look, that, that gives me good memories, uh, Utrecht and Rowie, uh, you know, doing an amazing time trial uh, that day yeah. to start off the Tour de France. And I'll, I'll there's bring a that picture there. You made, you, yeah, you picture there in 2015. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And and on that occasion, actually, a very young Tom Dumoulin was the big Dutch hope for that prologue. And, um, you know, Rowie got the better of him on home soil, got the better of everyone, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Great to have Rowie back here and and in this squad, and you know, no doubt he would have played a massive role in um, that that team uh, overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to uh, the stage happening uh, tonight. It's uh, stage two of the Vuelta. Uh, let's have a look at this profile, uh, Gracie. Believe it or not, there is a red line here somewhere. It's flat as or almost flat as. Super flat. It's a classic Dutch stage. I'm really looking forward to it. I've looked up the wind directions for the hourly. It looks like it's going to be a would. bit of a. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> it's a bit of a southwesterly to start with, and it'll turn into a westerly. So they're they're heading north up to back to Utrecht, 
Uh, they're starting in the town where Mariana Voss was born too, so that's a little bit of trivia for everyone at home. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a day for the sprinters, undeniably. We get to see who's going to be the fastest, who to watch out for in this Vuelta. My eyes are on Australian rider Caden Groves for the Team Bike Exchange. I think he's been having a really great season. He's He's had a couple of wins, plenty of podiums. He's super fast and that he's got some great guys to lead him out there. A lot of riders with track experience as well as road experience. So I think that he'll be one to watch. And then we've got Sam Bennett as well from uh, Bora Hansgrohe. And, you know, he's he's had success in Grand Tours in the past. So I think they're going to be ones that are going to be rubbing elbows. But there's there's a number of other fast guys. And, and Macker, I'm keen to hear who you might have your eye on. I've been through the start list and there's a lot of names that I don't know, actually. So I've been trying to work out who else we should be looking at. Do you have anyone that you've been uh, thinking about? Well, I can tell you, I'm in a local tipping comp with a bunch of mates uh, back here in Melbourne and I've actually picked Caden Groves. So I'm with you. I think his form's good and good enough. Sam Bennett got dropped last night in the team's time trial. I don't think we should read anything into that because he's not a yeah. time trialist per se. So, And he might have saved his legs a little bit for tonight. I'd love to see Sam Bennett win. He's had a rough couple of years. We talked about it. Didn't we uh, yesterday, the feud with Lefebvre that went public through the press? And uh, he again, he off the bike, he's a lovely guy. So I'd love to see the Irishman um, get get just get back on the winner's list. I think he deserves it. Yeah, and then quick question for, actually for, for you, Gracie, on Kedon Groves. Uh, we've learned overnight that he signed uh, to uh, Alpecin. Uh, he's replacing Tim Merlier over there. Uh, so that's for next year's as well. Uh, what does that do to his role in the team backing change today? Is that changed towards the teammates? Could it have been kept secret? Uh, did they know about it? Would that change their, their attitude towards him? Or are they dedicated to the performance this year? And then whatever is next year is next year. I was really happy to see him on the start list for Bike Exchange because it's actually quite common for riders to announce that they're moving to another team and then suddenly you don't see them on start lists as much anymore. And I think that's really poor form from some teams to to take away opportunities because they're annoyed that their team's going, their riders going to another team. So Bike Exchange is very professional. I think they've had a great relationship with Caden and developing him as a sprinter they always have good planning for their calendars. So most riders in Bike Exchange and in the men and women, they know their calendar for almost the whole season, barring any illness or injuries. And so he would have been looking forward to doing the Volta for most of the season. He would have known that that was something he was working towards. And they're honoring that. They're bringing him here to win. And they've got a team that is going to support him with uh, six flats, flattish stages. There's a few extra opportunities that might be for the sprinters, but yeah, there's, there's not that many sprint opportunities. So I think he's going to be making the most of every single one. Uh, and, and, and thanking the team for the support to get him into the world tour with with wins, hopefully. And I think that they'll be able to celebrate that, to do a great job and, and he'll move on for whatever reason he decided to, to change teams. I think that it would have been quite difficult for him to decide to leave Bike Exchange, but I'm sure it was for the right reasons. And I think that Bike Exchange are going to be more than happy to, to understand those reasons. And Maka, I mean, uh, we say, is replacing Tim Merlier. That's a, that's a massive uh, shoes to fill. Yeah. He's joining Jay Vine as well over there, and of course uh, Mathieu Van der Poel. Yeah, it's. I find it an interesting move, and I'll be interested to see you know if there's more movements from that team and other teams because there's been a bunch of riders announced as 
us three have been sort of discussing offline in the last 24, 48 hours. So he's not the only sprinter that's there, Tim Merlier, even though he's departing. Um, of course, uh, Philipson, Jasper Philipson. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. And the other thing, just on um, Caden Graves leaving, Bex, correct me if I'm wrong, Gracie, uh, we've talked about this before, I think, and not just him, whatever points he makes here, stay with the team in terms of the world rankings. Bex, they look like they're pretty safe. They were getting edging towards the relegation zone, but they've had a good Tour de France, as we know. But any points Groves makes here stays with the team, correct? Yeah, that's right. So as a rider, your points stay with you. But for teams, the the points that you make stay with the team and, and your slate goes back to zero effectively for that particular classification so it's good to see bike exchange go back up a a few spots out of that that red zone Mm. i think that there's uh, three or four teams there that are underneath that red line that might get relegated so you know the the vuelta and a few more races at the end of the season are really important to get some of those points no matter whether they're losing that rider to another team or not next year Absolutely. And then when we see what uh, uh, Lotto has brought as a team as well, they're not probably going to be challenging for that much points here as well. So that's probably a relief as well for a team like uh, Back Exchange, I guess, Maka. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. And the other one is um, poor old Alejandro Valverde, the old grandpa. <laughs> He's 42. He probably thought he was going to do a lap of Spain. It was going to be one big lap of honour. Movistar, for the first time in that illustrious career of that team, uh, they are looking at relegation as well. So Alejandro, he's got to win a couple of races for them. Otherwise, they could be relegated by the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, he's living. Does he care? Yeah, oh, maybe not. <laughs> he, he, mate, he cares. He cares right till the very end. He's that competitive, yeah, surely. <laughs> I'm just being a journalist. I'm just stirring. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, before we go, just a quick reminder. This is the stage tonight. It should be uh, hopefully a fast one, at least towards the end. Uh, I think we all of us have picked up the, the same wishful winner. Uh, anything else we want to talk about uh, before we end this podcast? Uh, there are a couple of things. There's a few transfers uh, that we haven't talked about. A few transfers. Well... Should I run through them quickly? Van Baal, Calderman to Yumbo. Uh, Carapaz to EF. Gracie, this is a really interesting one to me. Carapaz leads one of the biggest budget teams in the world. And it's not like he hasn't um, delivered for them. He has. I think he has. And now he goes to EF and they would have at least half the budget of Ineos. Either they are paying a massive amount to to Carapaz or, or he's taking a pay cut. Which is it? It is really interesting to see that kind of transfer. There's a lot of people questioning why would you ever leave Ineos, especially to go to a team as small as EF. So it tells me a few things. Maybe he's not happy at Ineos. Maybe he doesn't feel like he's getting enough support or uh, he's not getting enough leadership roles that he's after and he wants to be a sole leader for, for big tours. And it, possibly tells us that there's something going on at EF that we don't know about yet. Maybe there's a new big sponsor. Maybe there's a lot of promises being made Mm. across the board to some of the riders. So you just never quite know in cycling what's going on uh, behind closed doors. There's there's a lot of money involved and there's a lot of money involved in Ineos. So that's certainly very telling as to why someone would want to leave that team. I think it's either culture or or something else going on that we might learn of in Mm. in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And then can we quickly touch on uh, how big the roster at Jumbo is? 
you know, who else do they need to that to that roster? They they adding Kelderman and they adding, uh, you know, Van Baal, winner of uh, Paris Roubaix. Uh, what much more do they need, Micah? Yeah, well, they, they don't they don't need any more, do they? They've got <laughs> they've got the best bike riders <laughs> in the world. So, no, I mean they're spending up. They really are spending up big. And I mean now they've got, you know, the the current Tour de France winner Jonas Vingago. They're they're licking their lips. They want more. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in regard to Yumbo, they're, they're losing Chris Harper, Australian rider, who's who's been very uh, impressive at the national championships. And he's, I think he's a bit underrated in Europe, but he's the type of rider that is a super domestic, a super climber. And I'm interested to see why he would leave Yumbo Visma because they have got such a strong climbing team and, and so many great mentors there and, and riders to work for. You know, he could easily fill the shoes of Robert Gessink and, and play a similar role to so I'm wondering maybe that he just hasn't been offered another contract with Yumbo because they're making room for some other big mm. names. He's going to bike exchange though, so he's not really losing out much. But I, I find that an interesting move as well for a rider like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is interesting. And it's, I mean, it's great he's found um, Wayne Beck's uh, bike exchange shake. I've wanted him as well. So I think he'll fit in well there. Um, Hey, uh, Christoph, there's one other thing. And Gracie, one other bit of news. The owl record has been broken. Yes, I know. Let's have a look at this. Again. Uh, (laughs) Again. Again. Look at this. 55548. It's been done. you know what? What can we say? I'm a bit, uh, maybe it's speechless. How, how far, or how far? Yeah, how far can this go? Well, well, I'll say one thing, Gracie. I'm not sure if you know any more than I do about this guy, Dan Bingham. Apparently, he is an engineer for Ineos, so he's he's raced on a con- couple of continental teams. So he's been a an elite cyclist, not really so much professional, or at least not world tour, but he's an engineer at Ineos. And now he's just delivered 55.5. That is insane. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That I think it was almost 500 metres more than the previous record, which is insane. It makes me wonder how much for, far that they can push it and who else is going to have a crack, maybe Filippo Ghana, uh, someone like that. Can they get up to 56? I don't know. But, man, it makes my eyes water to see that number. But, yes, he's a, a really strong uh, domestic rider, track rider. He's done a lot of track and time trialling. And he, he had the hour record in his sights for a number of years and then COVID hit and suddenly he had all, all this extra time to train more and develop more of his right. the equipment and bike. So he had the last two years to really tweak both his body and the equipment. And uh, yeah, he's he's an expert uh, engineer and consultant for some big teams and as well as motorsports. So he had everything at his fingers, but he ha- he still had to do the thing. <laughs> so it's very yeah, impressive. <laughs> yeah, good on him. Um, yeah. He was wearing, as we could see, an, an Ineos branded uh, skin suit, but everything he used i think that there's a lot of uh speculation well not speculation but a lot of uh interest i guess around exactly what parts he used and everything that was developed that he was wearing and riding mm. so i think we'll see a bit more tech stuff coming out of that which will be really interesting and i know a lot of teams will want to scoop a lot of that information up for not for future hour records but for future time trials team time yeah. trials etc so yeah it's it's an interesting one 
the bike didn't look like it was made of a washing machine like Graham Aubrey and the whole yeah yeah those days are over but they were good eh? they were good anyway <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us I think this is the end of the podcast for today uh, the, the stage tonight is live on SBS of course uh, and we will be back you uh, Maka uh, and you Gracie and myself uh, back here on the Zwift SBS cycling podcast same place same time tomorrow will I be on the same place I don't know maybe I'll find another roof but you hit the beach, mate. Hit the beach right now. <laughs> cool off. Well, now you look now I've got my little, you know, what's working is I've got my little dongle here. So it's all going through a little dongle. So I can't <laughs> be anywhere stuff. in my car. Don't try <laughs> me. You know, I mean, I can, I can go to uh, the, maybe I'll do it from here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the coast. I want to see the coast. <laughs> Mac is not jealous at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you, mate. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the SBS Falter Espana podcast with Zwift. After five weeks on the road at the tour and no riding, I'm seriously playing some fitness catch-up with Walter Inspiration. To help with my motivation, I've set myself a target of finding a team and getting involved with the Zwift Racing League. Round one starts on the 13th of September and goes to the 18th of October. One race per week for six weeks. Whether you're just starting out on your fitness journey or like me getting back into things, or you're a six watts per kilo monster, you'll find a level of racing to suit. So if you're up for the fun cycling challenge, dive in and start riding with a free seven day trial at Zwift.com and find your ZRL team or register if you're all ready to go by Sunday the 11th of September. Hopefully I'll see you on the start line soon. Ride on.